On this week's episode of Life and Lessons, I talk about the growth of this podcast. I talk about attempting 75 hard all over again. And I explain why I'm forcing myself to have one unnecessary interaction every single day. Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 111 of Life and Lessons. I'm Sean Spooner, and if you're new here, here's what you need to know. This podcast is the place where I tell the story of growing a business, of growing as a person, and of taking on some fairly unusual challenges, sometimes on my own, sometimes joined by the most interesting people I know. The only thing that's guaranteed with this podcast is that every time you press play, you're going to learn something new. I hope you're well. I hope you've had a good couple of weeks since we last sat down to speak like this. Um, Thank you, of course, if you listened to last week's episode with Rory Sutherland. Probably one of my top three favourite episodes ever of the podcast. Um, I know I said it in the lead up to that episode, both before I'd spoke to Rory and after before I released it. But I could literally just sit and listen to Rory talk for hours. He is so full of wisdom and stories and really specific subject matter knowledge um, and you bring all that together with his personality and it's just amazing how much you can learn from somebody like Rory in an hour without even realizing that you're learning because his kind of storytelling and his ability to communicate makes it feel like you're just talking to an old friend and so that was really incredible. Um, had some really really good feedback both publicly and privately on the episode. And I think I'm also correct in saying that it is the best performing episode in its first week ever. So um, lots of the stats from like the podcasting software I use, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and now YouTube compares the performance of episodes in the first seven days because really that's when the majority of listens happen. And yeah, the Rory episode is doing really well. um, And I can't take any credit for that. That is all due to Rory and his wisdom. And it's also doing really well right now on YouTube. It is currently ranking second for his name after Ted, the YouTube account for Ted Ted Talk. So that's a promising sign. Um, and you may have seen me tweet a couple of weeks ago that the YouTube side of this podcast, though in incredible early days, like it's so, so, so early on in the journey of putting this on YouTube, is really interesting already. So in the last 28 days, the videos that I've just thrown up on there, because, you know, this content exists anyway from recording the podcast in audio, uh, the videos I've thrown up on YouTube have done like two and a half thousand additional plays um, in 28 days. Most of that is in the last 10 or so days between the Patrick Foster conversation, which is really taking off right now, um, and the Rory conversation. And those kind of videos, those kind of conversations don't seem to be losing any momentum, right? So they continue at their current uh, trajectory for the next year and then throw into the mix the next, I don't know, 20 or so guest episodes that are going out this year on YouTube. Um, It just puts it in a really interesting place. And um, I know I've said all along, I don't do this for listeners or now viewers, because frankly, I don't like I'm 111 episodes into this. Um, And only now, across audio and video, are we really starting to see the very early green shoots of growth. 
I would not have done this for two and a half years if this was solely about growing this thing. However, like I've said before, to get the guests I want, to have the conversations I want to have, numbers ultimately come into this, right? Because as nice as the chats with guests are, there's often a gatekeeper, right? And to get past that gatekeeper, whether they are an agent or a publicist or a manager, you need to make the case that these highly in demand, in some cases, high net worth individuals should invest an hour of their time into your platform. And so growth is really important in that sense. And YouTube seems to be the really, um, like the sharp end of the growth in as much as we're so new on there as a podcast that, I mean, the channel has less than a hundred subscribers, but just the discovery mechanisms in YouTube I massively, massively underestimated. And I took some advice from Dan Needham, who kindly a few weeks ago jumped on a call with me and told me everything he knew about optimizing for discoverability on YouTube. I'll be honest, he has to take all credit for what's currently happening with YouTube in as much as the videos weren't going anywhere before then. They now are going somewhere following the principles that he gave me. But this is all just to say that I think YouTube will be a really interesting element of this podcast this time next year. And I think that it will also unlock a lot of doors for us. And I say us because you stick around and listen every week. It will unlock a lot of doors for us to be able to have conversations with the people that we will want to hear from, right? Because there's this kind of dream guest list that I have. And I know that some of you reach out and suggest guests. And the further this goes in the meantime the more listens and views that we get, the more access we have to those people. So it's really exciting. As always, as with everything in life, I'm playing the incredibly long game with this, the incredibly slow game. And so look, I truthfully don't expect the viewer numbers or the listener numbers um, across Spotify, Apple Podcasts and YouTube to be anywhere near that exciting for the next year or so. However, what I will say is seeing the very early signs of that growth and knowing that the next year will stretch out in front of us anyway um, it's just really promising and so that's exciting um, I think I told you last time I recorded an episode like this that I sat down with Professor Adam Hart um, who is the author of Unfit for Purpose so that's the conversation you're going to be hearing next week and then uh, Johan Hari has had to reschedule again but it shouldn't so far impact the uh, the release date of that episode, although I have now thrown a massive spanner in the works because I've double booked Johan's recording date and uh, a talk in a school in London potentially on the exact same day at the exact same time. And so I reached out to Johan's people to ask if they will very kindly move it again. Um, if they don't, we'll just record on that day. So be it. So hopefully you should be hearing the the long-awaited and the much-hyped episode with Johan Hari, who's the author of Lost Connections and Stolen Focus on the 6th of April. And then after that, like I've suggested, it's just going to be going back to hunting for guests. Um, my guest outreach kind of goes in waves with this podcast. Um, by the way, this episode has been really meta so far. I've been talking about the podcast constantly on the podcast, but I will get into other stuff, I promise. I just think that some people find this interesting. Um, the podcast outreach for guests kind of goes in waves because to reach out to the necessary number of people to get a small batch of responses um, takes a period of time right but then once you have that small batch of responses you have to shift all of your attention to the the intricate the complex and the time-consuming game of scheduling um, I mean taking Johan for a perfect example um, 
that's an episode that I will do almost anything to sit down and record. But somebody so in demand and somebody so busy naturally has a very fluid schedule. And so I have to uh, kind of move around my travel plans um, and uh, other episodes, other recordings, other episode release slots to make all of that work. And then, of course, in between all of that, there is recording these episodes and there is recording the guest conversations and getting those edited and ready for the trailer to be made and just so much that goes on that I don't always constantly reach out to guests. I do it in batches. I secure, say, five, uh, and then the attention shifts to producing those episodes, and then we go back to the wave that is reaching out to guests. Uh, that current wave of outreach has been going for about two weeks now. Some really interesting names in my inbox. Um, you know, some New York Times bestsellers, some really exciting thinkers. Um, who will come on? I don't yet know because it is in that game of working out schedules, seeing who's actually around, whether the dates align with certain things. But hopefully this time in two weeks time, this this kind of episode, the next one of these, I should be able to tell you the next batch of guests coming on. Um, and then, yeah, it will be down to recording again, getting all of those episodes out there. And that will bring us to late July, early August. So literally the guests I'm booking now will be released as late as August. And then by the time we get to July or August, we'll be going again for the episodes to conclude the year. And so that should give you an idea. And by the way, this is something I learned very recently, because if you look at the guest episodes last year, early last year, when I kind of ran out of steam and I ran out of people and I ran out of momentum, it's because I didn't understand the game as it actually should be played. But this stuff is planned so far in advance. And literally, I will soon be contacting guests who will be coming on in like, October, November, December. And then soon after those conversations have been confirmed, I'm going to be talking to people about 2023. So it's just, it's, it's an interesting game. It's one that I didn't fully understand. It's one that truthfully right now I don't fully understand, but it's one that I'm learning and it's a lot of fun. It reminds me of the Magnate days in a lot of ways. I was saying to Dan yesterday, actually, that for me to take this podcast more seriously and start thinking of it as an entity which is kind of bigger than me in the sense that there's already a couple of people involved with the production of certain assets of this, but then also to make it grow to what it could possibly be a few years from now. I need to really start thinking of this not as 45 minutes of my week, which I give up two years ago when this first came out, but actually to start thinking of this as like a, a really small, really niche media company in and of itself, because I know that game quite well from Corby Magazine and Magnate. I know all of the component pieces. And now I have the added benefit of knowing platforms and distribution through Patter and the work that we do with our clients. And so I don't mean that this podcast is literally a media company. It's not. It's me and I sit here with a microphone. But what I do mean is that to almost turn pro with it, to really squeeze everything out of this podcast in every sense that I can, I need to almost go through a paradigm shift of thinking about it slightly differently. And so that's what I'm trying to do right now. Um, I promise that is all I'm going to talk about for now this week, as in I'm not going to talk about the podcast anymore because that was quite extensive, but I hope you found it interesting. If not, thank you for still being with me. Um, something which you might find interesting, particularly if you've been here for a while, because you'll remember that I've attempted this a couple of times before, is I am back trying 75 hard again. Um, 75 hard, if you don't know, is a challenge that is... Uh, kind of an internet sensation over the last couple of years since the first lockdown, but it actually dates back to a bit before that, uh, where you have to do like two 45 minute workouts a day, every day for 75 days. Uh, one has to be outdoors. You have to drink like a gallon of water, uh, stick to a diet, have no cheap meals and 
read a book and take a progress picture, something like that. Uh, and I tried it in its true form back in January 2021, I think. Um, fell off the wagon on day 26 or 27. Incredibly difficult to stay motivated on the workout piece when it's the middle of winter and gyms are closed. Because remember back then we were in that second alpha wave lockdown. Gyms were closed. Very, very difficult. And so although I blamed myself because I'm the one who gave up, I was recently thinking that it'd be fun to try another um, kind of habit stacking program like 75 hard to just really push between now and summer because I mean there's there's no disadvantage to pushing yourself very hard when you have the the space and the energy to do it and so I thought I'm going to do that but crucially I'm not doing 75 hard um, to the exact specifications of the challenge itself because frankly I think that there are uh, more interesting ways to spin this. So the things that I'm trying to do every day for 75 days in a row, today is currently day 11. So by the time you listen to this, if you're listening to it on Friday, it'll be day 12. So uh, edging there. Um, the things I'm doing are number one, record my weight. Now I'm swapping, take a progress picture for record weight, because I think that it's interesting to, especially when you're tracking food, which we'll come on to in a minute, I think it's interesting to have an aggregate view of your seven-day average body weight and see what things like water intake and exercise uh, and calorie intake are doing to your body weight than it is to take a kind of subjective, is this the same pose? Is the lighting slightly different? Am I even going to see any difference between days one and 28 photo every day, right? So I understand why the original challenge has the photo there because it's almost forcing you to lean into doing something consistently every morning that's a quick win and also track your progress and I'm sure that there are incentives from the creators to then have a day one and a day 75 photo shared so that the challenge grows I'm not doing that don't get me wrong I've taken some progress pics of like the beginning point and it'll be interesting to see the end point but for me this isn't solely about body composition so what I'm actually doing given that I have been for the last couple of months in a slight calorie deficit is I'm recording my body weight as I have been for the whole of this year to see how it trends now that I'm really leaning in, leaning into this. Uh, the next two, rather than doing two workouts a day, I'm doing one workout a day. Now, 10 of the last 11 days, that's been in a gym. One of the last 11 days, it hasn't. Um, so that's basically some kind of resistance, some kind of weight training where possible, uh, other than I think Sunday, I just did the Stairmaster for 20 minutes because I ached too much. And that's going to get me, I think, aching is a real thing during 75 hard. And the other one, rather than doing a second workout, I'm just going to do an outdoor walk. You'll remember a few weeks ago, my conversation that I mentioned that I'd had offline with uh, Ollie Horton um, about needing to do more steps. I had a great excuse back then. It was winter. It was cold. Now it is not. So an outdoor walk every day, that's just getting my steps up. That is uh, expanding the amount of calories I'm burning ever so slightly. And also it's just good for you, right? It's just good to step away from the office and the fluorescent lights and the screens and the hustle and bustle of life for 30 minutes and just go and walk outside. Um, four pints of water minimum. I think drinking a gallon of water is entirely arbitrary. I said this last time I did 75 hard. I just think it's silly. So drinking at least the adult male RDA of water a day. Um, which I do anyway, like I don't need to track that, but it's still good to have it in there because there are days when a lack of planning can make it difficult to drink that much water, particularly when you're traveling or between meetings. So it's just nice to kind of force that for 75 days. Meditation. Now, right now with meditation, 
Uh, I'm not following any app or anything. It's literally just like five minutes, 10 minutes at the end of the day, following all the principles that I've learned from Headspace and waking up over the years because I can kind of, don't get me wrong, although I get distracted constantly, I can kind of self-manage meditation to a certain extent now. So I'm just doing that to try and hone the skill of forcing myself to meditate even for the slightest amount of time but completely self-managed so that it's a skill that I'm actually onboarding rather than outsourcing to an app. Um, track food, that's an obvious one, right? Uh, so track my macros, track my calories, uh, and trying to fall within a particular range to be in a very slight calorie deficit. Uh, tracking my protein, so I don't care what carbs or fats I eat, so long as I fall within the calorie range, that's fine. But what I am tracking, not least because I'm trying to build muscle whilst lose weight, uh, is protein. So trying to be at or over my protein target each day, um, which actually just ends up me drinking a lot of um, clear whey because it's hard to hit a protein target, particularly on the days when I'm in the office and I'm just eating like meal deals and processed shit. Um, but I think that's an important one. Uh, read 10 pages, uh, which is obvious, just read 10 pages of a book. Right now, actually, I'm reading a book, which I was having this conversation with somebody last night. It's weird to admit that I'm reading this book because they had also read it and they said that they were unsure if they should admit that they're reading the book. It's a book called um, How to Not Die Alone or How Not to Die Alone. I'm not sure what it's called. One of those two uh, by Logan Urey. Now, she is a behavioral scientist who worked on teams in Google um, surrounding like dating and relationships. And now she works as the head of behavioral insights or something like that at Hinge. So she is basically a relationships coach who's also a behavioral scientist and somebody who has, has access to almost unmatched data because she works on the inside of Hinge. And in this book, she kind of pulls apart the preconceptions and mistakes that we all make for entirely irrational reasons. Look back to last week's conversation with Rory Sutherland, right? The entirely irrational reasons that we swipe left on tinder or why we think that we're going to have a bad first day or why we don't book that second day or why we avoid reading somebody's text and all of these things that actually don't help you progress towards actually being in a relationship and i'm only 26 it's not like i'm absolutely gagged on being in a relationship however i am 26 i'm 27 this year um and i know how quickly five years can go right because five years ago feels really recent and yet in five years time i'll be like 32. I had to think about the maths there. Uh, and so I think it's just an interesting book to read to understand the tricks that our brains play on us when it comes to that entire domain to then be able to catch myself playing those tricks on myself and almost call myself out to be more effective in that area of life because wow do I neglect it. So that's really interesting. So that's read 10 pages of a book. And then the final thing I'm doing in this 75 hard style challenge is definitely the weirdest one by far but let me explain it to you so in the tracking spreadsheet i just call it one unnecessary interaction um and like i say this is an interesting one because it's a bit weird but it also seems like something you shouldn't force right why should you force yourself to have an interaction every day that you otherwise wouldn't have but the most confident and comfortable people i know are those who are able to go brain to mouth immediately in social situations they see somebody that they even know or don't they think something that they want to say and they just say it they don't think about it they don't second guess the response they don't start overthinking in these recurring thought patterns of what will this person say and then what will happen and then like will everyone hate me which 
people do, right? We all get trapped inside of our own heads in certain situations, whether it is a networking event, whether it is wanting to talk to somebody on a train, whether it is walking past somebody in the street and really liking an outfit of theirs, but not wanting to say it because you think that you might look a bit weird or a bit like a creep. And whilst those particular examples probably don't change your life, the idea of being able to just have the immediate unwavering confidence to say how you feel or what you're thinking in the situations when it really does matter I think is an important skill and truthfully I'm happy to admit this there are times when I want to say something to somebody just randomly or somebody I know whatever it might be and I'm like oh that might be a bit awkward so I'm gonna kind of either change how I say it or just not say the thing at all if it's a stranger right and I think that that scaled over the next 50 years of my life it's probably a a life not fully lived, right? It probably won't make a huge impact, but you never know what sits on the other side of those little conversation starters, the saying hello to somebody, the complimenting somebody's outfit, whatever it might be. And yet, despite being able to rationalize all of those really obvious benefits, it's something I stopped myself from doing. And so when I was reflecting on in these 75 days, what kind of habits do I want to build that will be really beneficial long-term, you can see so far that the other ones a rule like fitness or health or uh, learning, right? They're, they're quite obvious ones. But how do you make yourself more likely to speak to people and make new connections or meet new friends or, uh, I don't know, open opportunities that otherwise wouldn't be there? How do you make yourself lucky is a really interesting question. And I think the answer to that is just being comfortable speaking to more people. And I can say from experience in the situations where I, I have said hello to somebody and the experiences when I haven't the only thing that stops you is a lack of comfortability in the moment and so I figure at least the only way to force that to build that comfortability to build the confidence to just be used to it is to just absolutely force it right and so for these 75 days as strange as it sounds every single day I'm forcing myself to have an interaction with somebody which is entirely unnecessary. Now, that doesn't mean that it's shallow and I'm doing it for the sake of it, right? Um, For example, today, today is actually a really weird example. I was walking back from the gym a couple of hours ago and I walk like along a river between the gym and the office. And there was like the maddest bird in the bush I've ever seen. It was like this black bird with like a red head and beak and these massive long legs. And I thought, that's mad. So I like started taking a picture of it. And then some guy must have been like a 50-year-old bloke, um, was walking in the opposite direction. And I made a joke about having to explain why I'm stood alone in an alley taking pictures in a bush. And like that started a conversation about the bird and then he looked at the bird. Now that conversation got me nowhere. It, it, you know, materially changed neither party's life. Um, It was fairly inconsequential. However, I could so easily have just, despite seeing him walk past ignore that guy and not start the conversation. And so doing that 75 times over to just kind of break the ice with random strangers and get used to, get comfortable with talking to people who you otherwise wouldn't, though it doesn't cause benefit in the moment for the most part, I think it hones a really important skill that can then be called upon and then can be useful in the right situation. So uh, it might be a phone call that I make um, that I could just have easily made uh, like an email for, right? So picking up the phone, especially when I don't want to and having a 10 minute conversation to deal with a situation um, rather than emailing. It might be 
uh, like I said, talking to someone in the street as you pass, um, as I did today, it might be uh, extending a conversation out with somebody in a shop. Now, I've had to do this a couple of times because with 75 hard, if you fail for one day, you go back to day one. And there have been times, there have been days so far in these 11 days when I just haven't happened to have a situation in the day that would warrant being able to have an unnecessary interaction. So when it's like 7pm at night and I'm on my way back from the office and I'm in the co-op, <laughs> you know, the lady behind the till will say something and I'll be like, this is my chance. So I just start a conversation. Um, so like I say, they're all entirely pointless in the moment, but I think that they're the only way to blunt the edge of the awkwardness of feeling comfortable to just go headfirst into social situations. And I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe that having that ability in the long run is basically a superpower because if you can talk to anybody about anything at any time on demand without overthinking it, hopefully, I believe, it really just opens up life. So for the next 75 days, that is something I'm going to be doing. Um, what else? I went to see Stormzy in Cardiff on Sunday. Now look, you know I like Stormzy. Stormzy is great. The Motor Point Arena in Cardiff as a venue is shit. I honestly hate that venue so much. There's just, there's a whole bunch of things going on between the shape of the venue. It's just, there's there's not many good places to get a good view. Um, <laughs> the age demographic of people who went to see Dave and Stormzy in Cardiff, which are the two gigs I've been to recently at the Motor Point in Cardiff, is so much younger than the similar demographic in somewhere like London when I went to see Dave at the O2 because... I guess it's just a culture thing, right? And by the time that genre of music made it this far west, which, believe me, I've lived here for five years, took a long time, it's only a very certain demographic. And so it's just annoying because it's a bit like a fucking school disco. Um, and then just other things, like I'd seen that tour with Chloe a couple of years ago in Paris before uh, coronavirus. And I think I looked back fondly on that Paris gig because it was on the 29th of February, 2020. And it was the last gig I went to before lockdown. And so there was like a 483 day or something like that break between that gig and the next gig I went to. And so for literally almost 500 days, I looked back on that gig, which was incredible. And we were in Paris and we were at the front row and it was just great. I looked back on that gig with such fondness. I think that almost the bar was so high to see Stormzy again than when I did on Sunday. I don't know. There was there was just something a bit underwhelming about him. I, I don't know how to put it into words, but there we go. Um, I also recorded a video of Stormzy announcing his third studio album at the gig and put it on Twitter. And I purposely worded it in such a way because I knew they would get traction and it did get traction. Um, and then weirdly, the next morning, I woke up to a few messages on iMessage and Instagram of people saying that they just heard me mention on Radio 1. And I thought like, what the fuck are you talking about? So I listened back and um, I think Greg James does like a, here's the things you need to know today section on the show. And obviously one of the things was Stormzy has a third album coming. And then they like used a clip of the video on the radio but then you can't like credit someone in text on the radio. So they had to somehow force my name into it to credit me whilst making it sound conversational. And so that was a weird thing to wake up to. Um, all of the meme pages stole the video as they always fucking do. Um, Abdi TV or whatever he's called. Uh, I'm just bait on Instagram with its 5 million followers. They stole this video with no credit. They stole the St. Pancras video with no credit. It's just a fact of life. Every time you have a big video, these pages will just 
pick them up. They know exactly where they're getting them from because they're the people taking the videos and then just not credit you. So there we go. I didn't sell it. I gave it to the video this is to Press Association. They asked for it um, for all of their partners. I'm like, do you want to license it for a fee? They're like, look, it's not a big enough news story. So I just gave it away. So if you see it out there, I think people at London Live have used it. Um, that will be why. Um, still not watching or reading the news. I think since last time we spoke, um, when I was kind of hopping between watching the news and not watching the news i've done like 10 days since then without any news other than a newspaper on saturday just gone um i see bits and pieces from twitter so i have a very vague idea of what's going on like i obviously know that the war in ukraine is still ongoing it seems like ukraine is still putting up an incredibly good defense it seems like russia is having strategic and uh like uh, logistical problems and it seems like the peace talks between the two are going fairly well that's basically what i understand about the news from the last week from random tweets that i've seen but anything beyond that any threats any words any statements any sanctions any of this detail that isn't really that important to understand other than that which i learned in the newspaper on saturday i just don't know about and it's just nice i know i talk about it a lot but i really recommend um maybe if you're listening to this on friday buy a newspaper tomorrow, Saturday, read it and try one week without the news, without news on in the car, on the radio or news apps or websites on your phone or visiting the BBC News website at work or watching TV in the evening and having the news on. Just try it for a week, see how you feel because there's something about it. I can't explain it exactly, but it's nice. Um, And then the last thing I want to do because I promised this a few weeks ago and then didn't end up doing it, is answer a couple of questions. Um, Maybe four or five weeks ago, I said that I'd answer some questions on the podcast, and I completely forgot about them, so I've just picked out two uh, from that post, and I'm going to try and answer them now. So the first is from Kevin, and he said, if you could only use one marketing channel to promote your business, what would it be, and why? Now, I'm not going to talk explicitly about Patter. I want to try and answer this more generally, right, so that if anybody's listening, because I know that a few early stage business owners do listen to this hopefully this answer will make sense for you rather than for me right so if I could only market a new business with one medium with one platform with one way of distributing my message in the early days especially if money is tight I wouldn't do uh, any sort of paid advertising I wouldn't even invest heavily into something like a website I would literally just grab my iPhone and start producing content because You can go to a networking event every Tuesday morning for a year and you'll meet 60 people, right? Same 60 people in a room. You can pull out your phone and record a 60 second reel and be seen by 5,000 people in four minutes. And okay, most of them will scroll straight past, but you can fairly reasonably assume that at least 60 people in those 5,000, because reels is giving away reach so easily right now at least 60 people in those 5,000 will listen to what you're saying and so in the space of about two minutes if you include writing the caption and posting it you would have connected with 60 people who care about what you're saying now bear in mind by the way the 60 people at the networking event might not actually care what you're saying but the 60 of the 5,000 who have seen the reel do similarly if you're tweeting you might only have 100 followers for the first year but if there are 100 people who have discovered you and have invested time into reading your stuff, that's incredibly useful. Same with 
TikTok and YouTube and blogs and literally any form of content production. I think that it is a way to not only scale for free your reach over a sustained period of time, but it's also a way to have people buy into your story and really understand what your business does in a way that something like paid ads can't do, right? Because paid ads are fickle in a sense, right? They only cost a couple of pence to get in front of somebody on something like Facebook or Instagram, but people scroll past incredibly quickly. And so if budget is a consideration, or even if you just want a small group of customers to really grow from, I would recommend any business owner, particularly in the early stages, but you know, this applies across the board. We have, uh, I'm thinking of one in particular, a fairly big business as a client who we manage their content production for two of their team members so that they're pumping out content consistently, right? Putting out content, even if nobody seems to engage with it, if you do it for long enough, there are people out there listening. You know, I get messages from people who have never liked a tweet of mine, never commented on a post, never shared a podcast, never made it clear publicly whatsoever at all that they've ever seen anything I've put out. And then they'll send me like a really nice email or a really nice DM about an episode I recorded 27 weeks ago that they were listening to. And so even if it feels like people aren't interacting with your content in the early days, if you're trying to grow a small loyal base of followers and customers, start putting content out there and just be blind to the numbers. Just don't look at the numbers for a year, right? I don't mean that literally because it's very hard to not see how many likes your post is getting, but just ignore the numbers. If you get no likes, fair enough, you've lost nothing. If you get four likes, that is four people, four real humans with incomes who can be your customers who have opted to engage, right? And that will only grow. And so if I could only grow a business with one medium right now and I was starting from scratch, it would be content because it's free, it's scalable, it's something you're entirely in control of. And over the long run, it has really incredible results. And then the second question is from Neve. She said, if you could pursue one interest or hobby this year, even if it was just to try it out, what would it be? I don't know. But the first thing that springs to mind is learn a new language because I probably did 300 days in a row on Duolingo about five years ago trying to learn Welsh. Now, I wouldn't learn Welsh again because I don't know anybody, like anybody who speaks Welsh. That's a lie. I know one person who can speak Welsh. But other than that, I don't know anybody who speaks Welsh, so it's not like a, a useful language for me personally to know despite running a business in Wales. I probably learned something like French, um, not for any utility, frankly, um, because, you know, we deal with clients abroad. For example, we have a business that we work with in the Netherlands. Um, and as it's, it seems to be the case across mainland Europe, Europeans are far more able to embrace and pick up other languages and that's a bad reflection on us right however it means that I've never had to even when doing business abroad I've never had to learn another language but the more I talk to those particularly in mainland Europe who can speak two three four languages the worse I feel about the fact that I haven't even tried so if I do pick up a new hobby this year if you can even call it a hobby I think it will be picking a random language fairly arbitrarily, maybe French, maybe Dutch, I don't know. I'm just trying to learn some some basic phrases from it to begin with, just so that I'm at least making an effort because I feel like many people in many countries make lots of effort to learn English and yet I can't say a single word really other than like Kelle <laughs> in French. So there we go. Um 
And I think that is everything. So thank you as always for listening. Remember next week's episode is with Professor Adam Hart. Really interesting conversation. Um, You're going to learn a lot from that one. It's all about how we as humans are not well evolved for the world that we currently live in and what we can maybe do about that. Um, But yeah, in the meantime, hope you have a good week and I'll see you back here this time next week for episode number 112 of Life and Lessons. See you then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.